preachers at the church like to say, we ain't gonna take long, but we're going to take our time. We'll talk about all the TV, movies, and music that define our everyday blackness. Welcome to the Black Card Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This your boy, Bird. I'm April D. Yep, Jay West. And I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Black Card Podcast. Hey, guys. We did it. We launched this shit. We out here. We did it. It's like we're in like a public relationship now. You gonna change your Facebook status, April? No. I'm gonna remain single. Not committed to the podcast. You don't. I'm you want to submit to it already? I don't. I don't it's we complicated. Already, we established like that. that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not submitting to the podcast. Wow, it's rough. Open trials are still Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so we're gonna have a little change up. Uh, we're not doing shots anymore, man. Uh, just to be honest with y'all, uh. We started to run out of different kind of liquor, so it was literally about to be, <laughs> <laughs> it was about to be three weeks straight of like, yeah, yeah we got Martell again. <laughs> but uh, that's a rock. Exactly. <laughs> I got some some rock for days. Yeah. But look, instead of shots, and we got such a good positive response, man, we're gonna start doing shout outs. Shout outs. So uh first I wanna shout out most wanted diva twenty three. She's been uh pretty much a fan of the show since like i started teasing it she sent in like two or three letdowns uh she always give me like feedback like harsh criticism things like that i really appreciate that so i know she's going to hear this her and uh swoosh wife she went to a&m with us and uh one of the things that she uh off rip as soon as we posted she was like i listened to your podcast i'm shocked you got 11 episodes so them two gotta shout them out man y'all got any shout outs Yes, I would like to shout out one of my college friends at Nia Janae. She listened to the podcast and she said that we were funny. And she said she's a new subscriber. Mm-hmm. So she's going to be checking us out. I think she said she listened to like two episodes when we first launched. I was like, yay. I'm real. I got a shout out to my dog, FN underscore hippie. One of my partners for a long time. He was the one that uh, definitely understood that little moment we had when we were talking about the silver dollar. And uh, he had to reminisce a little bit on himself. He was like, man, those days are dwelling still. Cool, so, cool, cool. My guy. Well, yeah, those are shout-outs, man. We got another change coming at the end of the episode. So uh, y'all stick around for that. But uh, coming out the gate, man, we also got to give a shout-out, our condolences to uh, Alex Trebek and uh, King Vaughn. Yes, um, sir. So um, if you've listened to our earlier episodes, we had a episode where we were talking about people that were up and coming in the music world. And we specifically said King Von. And since that day, I know me personally, I became a fan of him. Like, I liked everything pretty much he dropped from the day that you put me on to him, man. So to find out that, you know, he passed away, it was like a big blow because it's like, Damn, I just became a fan of you, man. And he just dropped his debut album, man. So, and wow. uh, yeah, uh, I really want to get in detail about what kind of person he was and his background as far as him coming from Chicago all the way to him living in Atlanta. Uh, from one, he's from a very popular neighborhood that they all consider out there as O Block. That's where you get your little Reese's. You know, Fredo Santana, RIP to him. He's also passed away, which is Chief Keep Cousin. They all lived in this very popular area that you call Parkway Apartments. Mm. Uh, when he grew up around there, he basically grew up where he was, you know, caught up in gang 
lifestyle as far as the BDs and GDs and 64th Street. Is everybody hear him yell all the time? But that was their common lifestyle and background. He was the the new hope as far as coming from Chicago and making a new different kind of interest to the drill scene and music entry. So BDs and GDs, are those like gangs? Yeah, well, okay. when you talk about BDs and GDs, BDs are. Say, when I hear BD, call... I say baby daddy. <laughs> so that's why I was like. But they definitely like, don't hear she, that at she all. She's like, baby daddy ain't goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got beef. Okay. Nah, well, BDs are, if you know anything about culture out there, BDs are black disciple, and then you have gays disciple. Mm-hmm. They were all one time together, and then neighborhoods. It just happens commonly out there. So they blood or crib? Neither. What? Okay. Definitely neither. I'm gonna be quiet now. No, 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 no. no. This is a that's actually a good question. Good question. Yeah, it's neither though. But I just thought it was funny because you said neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Uh, you have what they call people nation and folk nation, which divides like a group of different kind of gangs and all that. But we're not gangland.com. I just really <laughs> wanted to get into the understanding of well, get people to understand the the, the way he grew up and how. Things happen to him today, it kind of comes back and it makes sense on why we unfortunately are dealing with this. Right. You, know, you have folks thinking you got to get jumped into the black car. Yeah. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but go ahead with King Von. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Uh, after all that happened, though, of course, we have the story of him eventually beating a couple charges. He's also had a charge where he had a gun charge. He did a couple years for that in 2000. I think it was 14. He ended up eventually having a murder charge that he beat in 2018. So he was actually facing a charge from the age of 18 up until he was 23. And when he beat that charge, he decided to try to change his life around. One of his first real good friends that people know commonly is G Herbo. G Herbo influenced him to want to become a rapper. Once he got that really, you know, tucked in and tight and knew what he could do and establish himself, he reached out to Lil Dirk, which is somebody that he known since childhood because they're both within the same affiliation of gangs and stuff like that. So he took a very fine of them and was like, hey, guys, I really want to do this seriously. I don't want to take no jokes about this no more. This is something I really want to pursue. So before he even heard him drop a song, he just signed him and put every faith in him. Dirk did? Mm-hmm. He signed him to OTF. First thing he ever did before he even actually recorded a song was oh, go on breakfast. Tell us what, what OTF stand for? Only the family. Signed to OTF, dropped his first mixtape, which is called Grandson. People don't know what that means. Grandson comes from where he comes in his background and neighborhood. Um, after that, we got the story, you know, Crazy story. which everybody listens to, you know, that infamous line, not for 63rd, you know, whatever, whatever. So we get that. Uh, the the tragedy that really starts happening though that we start paying attention is that the things that he was rapping about he may have been a great storyteller but what was very heartbreaking was the fact that he was living the things that he was rapping about. Isn't it and, like in um, Chicago? Um, I've seen things where they make rap music are somewhat diss tracks and they actually put the names of their homies because ain't that what? That's the origin of drill music. Right. Drill music was something they did in Chicago where Chief Keep was one of the origin people to start that foundation mm-hmm. where if you came from a certain neighborhood or you were doing this, that, and the third, they used you 
in your neighborhood or like dead homies or something like that. It was very disrespectful. Drill mm-hmm. music was to disrespect another neighborhood and your homies. That's what two kids, right? Right. Well, I mean that the whole little smoke, whoever, right. you know, with a uh, LBG duck, same guy that he died like a couple of months ago. He was from a you know GD mm-hmm. uh, set and all that. But the way that it really works though is he he kept rapping about things that were too honest to him, and I, I feel like that really kind of caught up with him within his charges that he caught even in Atlanta, where he had an attempted murder charge going to varsity with him and Lil Dirt. It's like the thing about those Chicago kids, they live in their real honesty where they don't know how to change themselves even when they go into a different pure environment. Mm -hmm. By the time that I feel he was getting to his greatest peak and was really willing to change is when we got to his demise and death. Right, because it seems like, because actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know the venue that he was out, he was at. But the reason he was there was to celebrate "Welcome to O Block," mm. which is his debut album. Right. Which is, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's chart topping. Wow. And um, it's he, so it had literally just came out, and um, uh, his manager did uh, an interview with DJ Academics, mm-hmm. and he talked about a couple things. There have been uh misinformation put out there about like his last words from Asian Donald excuse me right from Asian Donald stuff I don't want to get into that but one thing that um it's a video out there of the altercation um it's it's out there so a lot of people have already seen it but one thing that his manager said that I thought was quite interesting and noble but it led to his demise per se they had whatever beef was started inside the venue Mm-hmm. And um, of course, you know, from their area, you know, pistol play was talked about. Right. And he said that Vaughn made it a point to say, nah, I don't want to do that. We're just going to handle this with hands. Right. So he actually took the stance of a man, in my opinion. And from where, you know, Jay, you know how we grew up, mm-hmm. it's like a testament of your manhood was who you're going to knuckle up with. Right. You know, they, it actually, you know, means more if you would take it to fist, you know, the blows, you know, you still, you know. Because you get to walk away, you can fix a relationship. The thing is, these guys knew each other prior, mm-hmm. which makes it even more devastating because they even said after the guy who shot him said, you know, Vine is hit, Vine is hit. So it makes you feel as there a regret. But at the same time, as you live in this street character, you have to live by it. Yeah, well, I mean, the... I mean, we the, the details are still coming out about because I don't know if we want to say the name Quando yeah. Rondo, but you know, there's different speculations about you know his involvement or his well, it's actually not him, but you know they someone have affiliated on, with affiliated him. with them because like in the video it's like whoever riding with them as soon as the shit got started he up the strap. Regardless of what happened or not, the the real main issue that I really stand that really hurts the most is that you had police shooting. You had someone else shooting, you know, bystander wise. Somebody died, and not more. Two people died, I think. Well, I'm just saying, it's a oh, life, though. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, not, yeah. Not, we ain't counting bodies. We're okay. just saying someone died from this. And what's hurtful about it is, we can have very strong disagreements in life, but life does not have to be taken. Right. You know, the point of disagreements is actually to come to a term where you can find somewhere in the medium ground to agree. Mm-hmm. You'll never be able to figure that out in street manual. In a manual of a street, there's no rules. Right. So they always choose to pick 
uneven balances to, you know, do right. the things that they decide to go about. They spoke about him on uh, the Joe Budden podcast, and I was listening to it, and Joe kind of made a point that I was like, damn, you know, King Von was 26 years old. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and Joe Budden said, he was like, I was out there too, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if I just imagine if you would have took my life at 26, there wouldn't have been the better side of Joe Budden. There wouldn't be the Joe Budden podcast. There wouldn't be the Joe Budden network. There wouldn't be these people that are these people with families who are eating off of, you know, just how I was able to grow and transform because I was taking that 26. And he was saying that there's no telling what King Von would have, you know, been able to do. Because even if you look at Dirk, Dirk out here popping on number one songs with Drake now, you know, you know who else died at these ages? Tupac and Biggie. I knew that answer. I knew that. <laughs> that is I should have let you answer. You I should apologize. have. I, I believe you on that one. I believe you on that one. And that's the thing. Like, you know, you do think about it to that aspect, though. Like, mm-hmm. that, that it just, it, it's more of a heartbreak. Like, we're really not putting any kind of emphasis on life itself. Right. Because, like, if you say, like, just like you said about Tupac and Biggie, it's like, they were taken early and they're two of our greats. And, you know, some people get into arguing, but like, well, can Biggie be a great one? Only two albums. And I just got to like refer to the track list. Right. Like refer to the track list. This amazing body of work that was given to you on his second time out the gate. Right. Certified classic after classic after classic track, you know, and same thing. We know Pac, Pac had more albums, but they, he didn't have a, a plethora, you know, not, you know, not, for his young age, but he has an amazing catalog of work. So it's like, if you would have got a chance to see them in their elder years, see them mm-hmm. grow, see them mature, see them with better production, you know, hell, even see if the beef would have dried up, you, right. know, you know, they might've came together and gave us, you know, no telling where they would have took, you know, hip hop or whatever, but you know, we're not going to stay on that too long, but um, any pardon words before we pass and get off King Von? Rest in peace, sir. I just, I literally, I started listening to him because, I mean, I feel like for me, when rappers die, like when they pass, that's when I start listening to him. Because the, what's the guy that passed early with Pop Smoke? Like, he sings that Woo song. Oh, I love that song. And I'm like, oh, I want more, but. There's no more coming. And like King Von, he gave me, he's from Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, I've been listening. He gave me very much Chicago vibes when I was listening to him the other day. And I was like, oh, he, he was straight. You're right. And. It's just sad because yeah. that's it. Yeah, man. So, so rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Vaughn, man. Uh, this podcast, we're not from 63rd. Uh, so in the midst of all that, that boy Clifford Harris, <laughs> T.I., called a stray, if you will. So T.I. put out a statement. I asked for that bullet. That wasn't a stray. Hold on, hold on. Let's, let's, T.I. made a statement, right? He made this post. He said, particularly, Atlanta is a beautiful city, a beautiful progress city filled with black excellence. We uplift each other and we win together. Stop stop coming here to kill each other. That shit is played out management. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the problem with all this being said. Nigga, Atlanta is not Wakanda. And he got to get that out of his head. Atlanta has its own, you know, interior problems that... We understand where you're coming from, but you have your own interior problems, and you come from this same type of environment yourself. And you know when you come from that environment, when you run into your op or anything you want to label it as, 
whatever's going on with y'all, y'all get it cracking in and there. That's how your friend Big Phil got killed in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm not. And this is not no shade, no disrespect, because I don't believe in all that kind of stuff. But you don't believe in shade. <laughs> not when it comes up to life. Not even. Okay. Right. I, I won't even do that. I, I shade somebody in another way in the comfort, but <laughs> not in death. Uh, when you have that kind of story as your example, where people were saying you were a snitch because you had to go to they say a testify when you really just went up because you got served and you had no choice by law. Like you've been put in positions that you are questioning people without really actually noticing that you are. And then there are beautiful people who come into Atlanta that actually puts more investing than the folks that live there. It it, it looks bad for you. Looks, and then looks it's funny in the light. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, T.I. is my guy. That's one of my favorite top rappers, but everything does not have to be discussed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, you have to know timing where if you're going to even sit there and say, hey, you know, don't go to your hometown and kill each other. Like, how about not kill it all for one? Mm-hmm. And two, how about we go into this whole thing of where you just shut up for a minute and then you start involving yourself on how you can help people understand the way that Atlanta is supposed to move the correct way and have the respect that you feel the city needs to be in deservance. T.I. always seems to be doing something. He always has something to say. I was just surprised there weren't really big words in the statement that he made. That's what I was waiting on. <laughs> so, so you're not surprised that he put out a statement expeditiously. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, from my position on it, um, I'm going to have to give pushback to Jay, man. Um, I actually really understand what T.I. is saying and where he's coming from. The reason I say that is because he is a child of Atlanta. He, he, it don't matter how you feel his um, efforts into building up Atlanta or what other people have done in conjunction with that. The point is he's from Atlanta. He lives in Atlanta. So I'd say the same thing about Huntsville. Like, when you come into the R, just think of it like if somebody comes into your house. Like, nah, you act like you got some home training in my house. Man, in his situation, it's not just the fact that somebody died, but there's going to cause a situation in that venue. So, like, let's say it's the same thing with uh, the plaza that Troy Ave shot up. Uh, you know, Yeah, in Brooklyn. Well, yeah, it went through that little thing with, uh, with I forgot, oh, boy. Whoever, yeah. like, whoever, with Troy Ave, yeah, yeah. they had to shut that shit down. So, let's say... Onyx was just shut down for the fucking longest. So if it's a spot that I like to be at and some out-of-towner come in here with some bullshit, and I'm not saying, and I'm really not talking about Vaughn in this situation. I'm mm. really generalizing it. Like, you come out of here with some bullshit, and you call some beef, you shoot this shit up, and now they can't have acts or they shut down because, you know, lawsuits and shit happen behind that shit. Mm-hmm. So now, like, nigga, you can keep that shit where you at. Because actually, this was nice text, though. Actually, it did happen. Let's say it did happen here because you remember when um, it was a shooting at Crossroads at the Rich Homie Quan concert. Mm-hmm. And let's just say, I don't know exactly like who was shot or whatever, and I'm not trying to, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Well. But let's just say it was somebody from Birmingham. Mm-hmm. We all have been at Crossroads. That was one of our favorite venues, and it shut down from that day. So They couldn't wait to shut it down anyway, though. But that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. I mean, but why give them a reason? Exactly. Oh no, I was I was yeah. agreeing when you said that. That's, exactly. That's so saying. it's like I totally understand everything Ti saying, and I can't say he's wrong, and I do not feel like he's wrong. Okay, let me tell you why I feel like it's still 
where I'm bothered. It's because when Nipsey Hussle died and the Kodak Black little comment that leaked out, that was just like a comment that you really should have just said to your homie and yeah, shouldn't have really... About shooting yeah, at uh, uh, Lauren London. Right. Now, in the comparison of what I'm saying is you can't say that was too soon and then... It still was a disrespect to a certain family man. What? Like, what? Which part? I mean, which one though? We talking about? We talking, talking about, about Kodak? About what, or what we Co- talking about? We talking about what Kodak said? Well, yeah, in a sense. I mean, why would you? Why would you say that right when this man literally died and this woman's like, you know, because he got kids? It's, it's it's deeper things that you have to see in that kind of complex. Okay, so. But what I'm saying is, T.I. was the same person to call Kodak Blackout. Yes, say, he did do that. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of hypocritical is what I'm I'm going with this. I'm not saying that you can have your own opinion on it, but what I'm saying is, T.I., you can't call somebody out on some too soon shit, and then you do some well, too that soon wasn't shit too. No, 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 that wasn't what he was saying. You have to keep it in context of what he said. The situation that happened with Nipsey and Kodak and shit, he's talking about Kodak's statement about you know he he want to shoot at Lauren London right after Nipsey died, but the point of what Ti was saying was talking about people doing shit in the city of Atlanta. So you don't feel like that was just a too soon like apples statement. and oranges. I feel like that's two different things. Right. Like well, what like I said, I, I do see it being two different subjects at hand. But what I'm saying is when you are expecting a certain kind of respect of immediate response to stuff like what i'm like for example like i said with the king vine thing we know king vine ain't from there we just had the whole breakdown of him being from chicago but you don't think that he could have waited a little longer to post something that he already knew as subject and, and people ain't just in atlanta doing that all the time because i did understand from a certain point because like kd's god brother you know, he got killed at a club mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. And I felt like he may have been kind of speaking on that. But why you didn't post that then, though? See, it can be taken a lot of ways. You get what I'm saying? Like, you got folks who are emotionally uh, attached to it. And then you got some folks who are looking at it like, you know, in a different kind of way of saying, like, I don't know. Like I said, I just feel like you can't. I still feel like it's hypocritical because you can't just lay down the law when you feel like it. So... The issue is the timing. That you're saying so. Yeah, I feel like it's just the timing. Because so the, in, in, well, in my opinion, it's, it actually makes the backlash even more frivolous. Because what's the line in the sand? Because, because I felt like the statement about he made towards Kodak was frivolous also. Because one, what Kodak said about one. No, because he actually said once you get over this, you know what I'm saying, I'm going you know, I wouldn't mind taking a shot at Lauren London. Mm-hmm. Hell, all he did was express what other niggas was already thinking in I some agree. way, form, or fashion. Like, I heard niggas say this shit. I mean, but we're just not in a place that it will actually get to her ears. So that's that. But then to say that it was quote unquote too soon is like, if you're saying he can't lay down the law between this event and that event, like who's laying down the law of when too soon is like, do we have to wait on the wait? Do we have to wait I, on the funeral? I, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is I feel like he thinks that he has that. Like he could just lay, like he could just say what he wants to and be the one to lay the law. That's and how he I feel. He the king sometimes. of the South though. He can lay down the law when he wants to. I ain't going by that bullshit. I'm sorry. That, that, that's cap. I mean, king of the South, that, that shit. We, we stopped talking about that in 2010. Nah. I, don't know, I brought it back up in 2020. <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like 
I ain't be like really wanting to be defending T.I., but it really is this kind of shift of the goalpost when it comes to him, man, because it's like if he if he do some shit that, that you know, people fuck with, they all behind him. Mm. And when he moves on his own, it's also like, oh, no, nah, Tip, you got to back up. You got to, you know, man. F-. And then one, who were who we slash y'all, I'm just saying the lower yeah. people, to tell T.I. of all people what the fuck to do. Like, he honestly has, he he's the only person that tries. Now, I'm not saying only person that tries, but him and Killer Mike I was gonna say, try. Killer, Killer is the one. Him and Killer Mike, I mean, but that, but they're, I mean, they're both doing. But even Killer both, had to correct him a couple of times, even with the Candace part. Like, you know what I mean? When he was going at Candace and he was, you know. When he was going at know, Candace yeah, always calling uh, uh, whatever. And, and, but the thing is, there is no defined yeah. way to do this thing. The same way you got Malcolm and you got Martin, they both got responses. Mm-hmm. Like, people wanted Martin because they were scared of Malcolm. So if T.I. out here capping going hard, it makes folks want to listen to Killer Mike a little bit more. Like, yeah, at least this person ain't calling me out my name. But if Killer Mike talking to talking to uh, educated with these people and they like, oh, well, we can talk around him. And T.I. rah, rah in they shit. Like, mm-hmm. all right, look, the same with they were talking about Umi Sushi. Yeah. They're like, hey, we got to you know all that shit. Like, you, he's not wrong. Or I don't think he's wrong in the things that he does. And I feel like people really be trying to kick his back in a little too often. I put it this way. I don't, I'm not in a place where I've lost respect for him. I just, I could have a agree to disagree with him. You know what I mean? Like I agree with him a lot of times of where he stands and on things. I just don't agree with a lot of ways that he approached stuff. And because of that, like, I could. I feel like he's the one that you need to have that open discussion with because if you had that conversation like the same way I just said I disagree, I'm pretty sure he can break down with all those big ass words that he got <laughs> to you know explain to me why he did and how he did it. There's no right, there's no wrong, you know, and I guess you say like agree to disagree. I mean, yeah, that's and it's easy to have that. I mean, because it's not like it's not like you know no one lost the respect for a person. It's just hey, if you feel like you're wrong, just move on. Ooh, speaking of moving on, can we talk about this imposter syndrome? Yes, mm. we can, man. Yes, we can. Um, this is something that's like kind of, I don't even want to say near and dear to my heart per se, but it's something that I know I feel like I'm going to be transparent with the people like like fans and listeners, man. We we, we folk now. We we folk. We here. So uh, it was a, uh, I had a conversation one day and it was about, uh, and I, it was a good friend of mine, and I had to kind of just open up, and I was like, man, it's just something about this workplace, man. I feel like I, I, I'm going through this situation. I'm just not confident in what I'm doing, man. And uh, they kind of, ex, you know, expressed me like, well, you know, you're probably you know, dealing with imposter syndrome. So I've never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. So I went and did, you know, they kind of filled me in, and I went and did my own research, and it is wildly common. And what imposter syndrome is, it's not like a diagnosable situation, not like bipolar or anything like that, but it's this feeling of self-doubt. And most people have, especially minorities, have it in the workplace. And the weird thing about it is that it actually affects successful people. Mm. Because that's kind of like what I had. And I mean, to give you all just a short backstory on mine is uh so high school was easy for your boy breeze through that shit right got to college 
Um, I never, never learned study habits. So I came out in electrical engineering, right? I like, all right, man, high school is easy. I didn't know that I was picking one of the, like, you know, the toughest yes. majors oh under the sun. Right. So I almost flunked out of college. Like I was on academic probation, lost my scholarship and everything. Right. So then I, um, changed my major, got into construction management. Right. So construction management is all about like, you know, estimating, you know, the cost of buildings, you know, scheduling. It's a lot of, you know, the upper, not like putting bricks on bricks, yeah. you know. So got into that, knocking it out, right? So uh, through just some different, you know, trials and things, got to NASA. Started working at NASA. And this is where it kind of started. So I had this crazy-ass manager first, right? And she would pick at everything I did. So I was like also a victim of like workplace bullying. And so my boss at the time was telling me like, hey, don't let it bother you. We know she doing the shit. Just keep a track, keep keep a, a record of it. Mm-hmm. We, I got something coming for her ass. So he like, the day gonna come and I'm gonna ask you for it. And just have that bitch on your desktop. Your record, send yeah. that shit right to me, right? So all that shit happened, you know, whatever. Things got better. I moved on to another team, NASA, whatever. So while at NASA, I've held every position. I've done everything asked for me. I was sufficient at my job, but I always felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. Even though I did all this work, even though I'm like, I just never felt, I felt like I was going to be found out. I felt like the day was going to come that I was going to be in a meeting. Somebody's going to ask me a question. I wasn't going to know it. And then they're going to dig further and be like, dang, well, you really ain't what we thought you were. Right. Right. But that feeling is a common feeling. And that's, called imposter syndrome because i had no reason to believe that that's crazy that it's titled that i'm, I'm still listening I, yeah I like i had no like keep in mind i've held every position never had almost any negative you know response to any work i didn't and then i went on to another team did the exact same thing there and even to go any further when i went to grad school i went and said all right let me get this engineering degree this master's in engineering mm-hmm and that that should validate me to me a lot like we getting real transparent on this mic right now mm-hmm. that validated me to me mm-hmm. i was like this is going to be i'm gonna feel comfortable and solid in what i'm doing right got the degree got my master's whatever got a new job you know doing something new and now it's still that damn i'm new i damn everybody's so far ahead of me man Again, insecurity. the insecurity and the thing is it's all personal mm-hmm. and when i talk about it to other professionals they actually like i go through it too or they can you seen know, it. Yeah. they seen it they like damn like it's the thing and it's just I, you know it's so much like have y'all ever you know had something similar or feel the same way um absolutely i <laughs> i'm laughing as you talk about this because i've been through that and my friend called it out one day when we were on the phone and I had never heard of it honestly and I think in the workplace specifically I feel like I've always heard people say like as a black person you have to work twice as hard Mm -hmm. so in my mind if I'm not working twice as hard I don't even know what that line of like working one 100 percent is so it's like I have to work twice as hard so like am I working hard people would tell me good job or hey you're doing a really good job or just different things and I wouldn't I'd be like am I like am I really doing a good job and I remember um in one of my positions there was a lead like like my title was 
the ground to ground lead. Mm-hmm. That's what they called it. I would not put that lead on my time. I like it was something about it that was like I that lead. It mm-hmm. was just scary to me. I remember it's having like a convers- the weight of the title. Yeah, and I remember having a conversation with my friend. And he was just like, "Why would you not?" Like, if that's what it's called, why would you not? And it's the weight of the title. Mm -hmm. But also, I've been in situations where, you know, you're in front of a big group of people and it's the, the, the privilege of other people is that they can mess up once and everybody shakes it off. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. me, like, if I say something wrong, nobody believes what I have to say after that Mm -hmm. at all. And even I cannot be wrong. I remember one time in this big meeting, it was like, I think it was usually like 60 people went to it every, every week. I said something and literally this man, like I could never say something and it just be a fact. He would li- I could be like one plus one is two. He'd be like, all right, run that by your team lead and this other guy. And, um, just let me know. And I'm like, sir, like I don't speak unless I know the answer. Mm-hmm. That's number one. A lot of other people, they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They just speak, and it could be wrong as I don't know what, and don't nobody say nothing, and they say it confidently, and it's that confidence we just don't have it. This is and and the thing about that, and this is why they say it happens a lot of times with minorities is, like you said, we have to work twice as hard. It's because we're constantly told that. We're not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should be glad you're here. Exactly. We're not supposed to be here. Even, um, you know, we even have to do things like, like we're just talking like just real quick sidebar. We want to give, you know, prayers and condolences to Nate Beauclair. Yes. To, you know, he was a big help. But he, he was one person that went into NASA and specifically gave, you know, us blacks. Uh, opportunity mm-hmm. so coming from hbcus especially we get into these white spaces and we've always been told like like even when they tell us like you gotta get your master's degree from a pwi just to be taken seriously mm-hmm. now we don't realize that we're told we're not supposed to be here but when you look at the workload they're not supposed to be here but they're sitting here with their confidence and their privilege because they've always been told they're supposed to be here they feel like they're supposed to be here. That's why they get the bumps up. That's why they don't, they kind of move so freely. They come in late. They leave when they want to, whatever, because that aura that they have is that they've literally been told their entire life, like, oh, just go to school, get a get a degree and whatever. They're going to get your job. You're going to ride that thing on out. And that's how they think. But we're constructed a different way to really go hard on our education and our professionalism just so we can feel like we can compare. And you know what's funny is I have the same masters as Bird. Like did I went before you went before. You went okay. the, you the semester before me. Okay. So we have the same masters and I'll never forget having a conversation about, you know, a promotion and being told that my masters like I like they asked if I had the this certain type of experience, systems engineering. And I said, Well yeah, I have a master's in it didn't count and I was sitting there so just like flabbergasted like I just remember just sitting there staring like oh my gosh like (laughs) but yeah man so it's it's I don't know man like it's crazy that above you know all the other things we got to deal with in life we honestly have to deal with our own like mental barriers Mm -hmm. it's wild because it kind of rolls into the movement that's been going on now about um no mental health Mm -hmm. we're not a mental health podcast but it 
the thing about, you know, the things that I looked up when it came to imposter syndrome was I was expecting there to be some kind of like, hey, it's an imbalance of this or, hey, you take medicine for that. And that's not the case. It's it's all just psyche driven. That is just and it was like literally the only way to get through imposter syndrome is to actually talk about it, because one of the things is like, let's say we're both in the same job and let's say I have an issue with this database, constructing this database. And let's say you have an issue with implementing the database. Mm. We might both be having this same concern like this is our own concern. I'm like, damn, I can't get this shit. And you like, damn, to implement this shit, whatever. But since we don't talk about it amongst each other, I'm thinking everybody else is just fine with it. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's just zooming past me, like, damn, I'm fucking up. And you're thinking, damn, ain't nobody else having a problem implementing this shit. I'm the only one fucking up. You just don't know that your problem and my problem are in the same vein. They're just different. Right. You don't know my path. I don't know your path. So it isn't until we talk amongst each other, let know, like, listen. I got false too. I'm struggling with this. So you don't feel like you're alone. So that's how you kind of, the only thing they say to kind of backstroke up out of that thing and get more. And you just kind of just got to work through it. Yes. One mm. thing I've learned is to be, I'm, I'm completely honest. When I don't know something, I had to, I had to build the confidence to say, mm-hmm. I don't know, because that's a scary thing to say when you are already afraid of showing your hand. Um, but as I've grown the confidence to say, I don't know, or ask questions, I'll ask questions and I'll keep asking questions. And later on, I'll find out people had the same questions that I, mm-hmm. as I did. Or somebody will ask a question in a meeting. Like some of the questions I've heard in meetings, I'll sit there and I'll be like, <laughs> not now, you, <laughs> yeah. you cannot be yeah. serious. But at the same time, you know, ask your questions because everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I mean, I had a situation where I got asked direct question in the email. And I, you know, I told you guys I got a new job. Well, basically, kind of new. I started uh, back in February, and I spent over a week trying to find an answer uh-huh. for this question, until I finally, like you said, got the, you know, got the balls to like ask, like, "Hey, man, I don't see this." Blah blah blah. Do you know I had never got the email? The email that predicated the question came out before I I was even on <laughs> on site. So yeah. I literally. She didn't. She didn't know that, yeah. you know. So she like, oh yeah, this thing went out in January. I'm like, ain't that some shit? Yeah, I have a very similar story. Somebody gave me an assignment one time to work with um, a database, and they asked me to figure out how to do something. Mm-hmm. I spent weeks trying to figure this out because I was just like, he just he was like, it's easy. You just figure, you know, you I give you this book and there's these trainings. Finally, we had to do trainings with the people that ran the database. And I actually messaged somebody after the class. I said, hey, I know this isn't normal, but I'm reaching out because I have this assignment and I cannot figure out how to do it. Do you know they told me it's impossible? Get the fuck out of here. This man gave me an impossible task, told me it was easy, would not really help me. And I asked the people who developed the database. They said, no, you can't do that. Oh, ain't that some shit? He said you for the okie doke. Okie doke. He just gave me something to do. Sitting right along. Wow. Look, girl. But... I think one of the things that's kind of helped me with work, um, a couple of years ago, I actually started going to therapy. So mm. I didn't start going because of work, but it was just I needed an outlet. Mm. And um, a friend recommended me to this lady here in Huntsville. And when I tell you it's a black woman, she's younger. And it's like going, I call her my expensive BFF. 
Like, <laughs> I come in, we talk, she gives me feedback, she gives me assignments, and I actually enjoy it. I don't, like, at first when I was going, when I started going, I was going, I think I was going every week at first, and then I felt like I would graduate. She'd be like, all right, come mm-hmm. back in a couple weeks. And now I think I go once a month, and really it's just to chat and to see, like, where I've grown or, like, you know, if I have anything that's going on. But... You know, one of the things that I've noticed is, like, the difference for, like, black women seem to be more open to therapy than black men are. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like black men, like, I'll be on Twitter and just see men, like, they just are anti-therapy. And I don't really get it. I can tell you exactly why. Okay. Mm. Um, For black men, we look at life as in you got to tough through it. Mm -hmm. You got to... Shut the fuck up, put your head down, and work through it. Because we look at life through a very linear spectrum. When it comes to things like mental health and things like that, we think of me complaining about this problem isn't going to get rid of the problem. It doesn't benefit me to concern myself with the things that come along with this issue. So... It's more effective to bottle it up. Mm. It's better for if, if I'm going to move forward, am I going to continue to do what I need to do? I need to suppress. That's in order for work to continue to happen because, hey, if I stop, other things stop. So that's kind of why I feel like most men don't fuck with therapy. But I feel like that's a misconception, though, because like when I go to therapy, like, I, I can see how people would think it would be a complaint session. Like, oh, this is going on in my life. I hate my life. Like, really, like, I'll, I'll break down a situation, and she will give me steps in order to move forward or move past that so that I'm not sitting there stuck in whatever I'm going through at the time. So it's like, hey, if we're having a problem with emotions, hey, go read this book, and we'll talk about it next time you come back. Like, mm-hmm. that's the type of stuff that happens for me. Well, I can tell you this. Like, okay, so I'm not going to say I'm anti-therapy. I mean, because that's... You know, that's a rude statement. I'm not anti-therapy, but I have no intentions on going to therapy. Like I am that black delegation we're talking about. And I look at it even from let's we'll start off with this. If I was to see a therapist, the first thing that I would think is this person knows absolutely nothing about me. I look at myself and the things that I've been through that culminate to these feelings. We don't even have the time to even sift through the complexity of me for you to help me out in any kind of way. You have to understand the foundation. You have to understand the background. Then you have to understand the situation to give me any kind of remedy. But that's why you don't go to therapy just one time. It's not like a one time coming here for an hour and you just sit down. Like literally I was laughing with my extensive BFF the last time I went because I think I've been going to her for two years and she actually got me to cry for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't, I don't remember what we were talking about, but it was just like, Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That moment you broke down that wall, but it took two years. Yeah. I mean, I got insurance though. So <laughs> see my budget. Well, I'm not, I'm definitely not against therapy, uh, but I do understand where you're coming from when you say, you know, the way that it's dealing with our emotions. It's been something where we have been raised to make sure that brick wall is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, especially being a father, it, it really does play with me in the title where I can't be as 
vulnerable or sensitive at times, I feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I got all girls. You know, I, I'm, I have no problem with it, but at the same time, I do. Because I don't need them to see me weak at times, mm-hmm. I feel. But I do need... I need that time too, where I could just be myself and just have that moment. You know, um, when you deal with those type of psych emotions, like you're you're actually fooling yourself more so than what you're being raised to be told. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know, because if you're sitting there using that as your answer of saying, "Hey, why I'm not going to see a therapist," then you're basically pushing out every reason where you need to have some kind of extra opinion to help you get to a further level of where you know as a black man mm. as we say <laughs> uh, as a black man we need that though extra push though like seriously and i really do feel that way because we don't have that chance to talk about a lot of stuff and statistically it has been proven that black men are more in fear of going to see therapists than white guys you said something that kind of caught my 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 antennas mm-hmm. it's the vulnerability thing mm-hmm. to me i feel like being vulnerable is a sign of strength. Mm-hmm. Like being able to be vulnerable with somebody. And then a lot of times I've seen where guys have said that they want to be vulnerable in like a relationship. And then they get vulnerable with a woman and then she get mad and she throws it back in his face. Mm-hmm. Therapists won't do that. Like that's a safe space where you can go and you can say what you want and they're not like they they don't have that place or they, they don't have those feelings where they're going to ever need to throw it back in your face. Come you know on. the only thing that I the only thing I really have a problem with though with black men going to see therapists is that we don't have too many black therapists for us in availability. So when we speak about that, like you're lucky to be in Alabama and have a black woman that you could, you know, talk to you, you know, talk and be vulnerable with. Mm-hmm. I was watching when I don't know if y'all was watching what's her name? Uh This is us. Ayala Ayana. No, I'm talking about the Breakfast Club interview with your girl, what's her name? Cookie, whatever her name is. Uh, you know, the, only, the only cookie I know is Magic Johnson. No, Cookie from, what's that show called? Uh, Empire? Empire? Yeah, I can't think of her name right now. Taraji so, P. Henson. Yeah, she was talking about how, you know, the list of black men being able to see. She got like a, her dad? Or something has like mental issues uh-huh. or something like that. She's really big in the in yeah, that space. Yeah, men and having yeah. therapy and stuff. So she was just like, you know, the list of it is like under 20% of, I think it's like 13% black men that are actual therapists that are uh, listed or whatever. So it's kind of hard for us to even feel more comfortable to say, hey, we're going to find one because where the hell are we going to go? I mean, but do you have to see a black man? Like, is that something? I really that- feel like that's important. Man, so if I already feel like just a Joe Schmo going to have a hard time understanding you think a white woman the well, leaps and bounds that she'll have to the, the mental gymnastics she'll have to do just to even get to the foundation the base level of black man me right and i'll say that's why i went to the the lady that i go to now because i saw she was black and she looked you know about the age range and i remember the first time i went in there i made an insecure reference and she caught it i mm-hmm. said oh yes that was our I bonding moment. Yeah, that was that was our bonding moment. But I can see where not having a black man, like maybe seeing somebody else mm-hmm. that looks like y'all to talk to, but also like, I mean, think that's already off rip is going to be 
two like if it's let's say if it's a white woman you're already going to have two walls immediately built yeah. up because one you're going to have to prove to me that you understand blackness right then you're going to have to prove to me that you understand masculinity and then i'm hot because i think therapy is low-key getting popular here because i can't get an appointment with my lady like well you ain't gotta worry about me taking any advice <laughs> Look, look, Ava, I've, I've known you way longer than you know her. I'll be a therapist for half the price. Okay, anyway. So, <laughs> also another aspect of this whole therapy thing is I think our generation, or at least like the women, are very open to this healing process and trying to break the cycles that came from our past and our family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the black family, what happens in our house stays, stays in, in our, our house. house. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot, I know that. There's a there's been a lot of people that have had pushback from family members. Like when you go to therapy, they're wondering what are you talking about in there? Who mm-hmm. are you telling my business to? Mm-hmm. Y'all have any opinions on like the family aspect of that? Yes, I think I understand what you're saying. You saying I do exactly. Do I have an opinion on you? Let's say we're brother and sister. Mm-hmm. You going into a therapist and telling her about some things going on between. I'm, I am so anti. Am I, am I anti therapy? You might be. Because you I are. do have a, a, an opinion about that. Because let me tell you, let's say, okay, forget brother and sister, but this is another form of family. Like, let's say we were married, right? Mm-hmm. And you went to a therapist, and th- my problem would be this person outside of our relationship mm-hmm. is having an influence of shit going on inside. Uh-huh. You're mm-hmm. talking to her for an hour, two hours. We have to live together. And that even same thing goes with like mother, father, brother, sister, things. This person outside of the family has an influence on how you act inside the family. Because like I said earlier, there may be things that they, so for example, somebody may, therapist may tell me, hey, you need to go confront your mother about some shit. You don't know my fucking mama. She, they don't fly with her. She don't play that. You want to strain my relationship with my mother because you're just guessing? That's just your shot in the dark. You don't have to deal with that with that fallout. And now you may send me into a deeper spiral because you just think that, oh, she's a tough lady. You got to be tough with her for her. Get her respect. Like some, you know what I'm saying? I'm just throwing some shit out yeah. there. Yeah. So and That's the hard part about therapy, too, yeah. because a lot of people also go into therapy wanting to be perfect, right? Uh-huh. So they don't pull that wall down. They only tell, you know, bits and pieces. And when I tell you that is a waste of time, I think... Um, why, speaking of insecure, Molly used to do that and just come in and tell bits and pieces of what was going on and not telling the whole truth. It is absolutely pointless. Like if I tell you, like, hey, I'm having this issue with my mom, but I don't tell you, like, also on the back end, like this, this, and that. Then, then there's there's different things. I've actually had a situation where I brought it to um, my expensive BFF, and you know, I told her this, and she gave me some, um, you know some ideas of how I could handle the situation. She usually gives me some options like, Hey, try this. This is that. I went back the next time and told her more information. She was like, you didn't share that with me last time. That that was a key factor. And I'm like, Oh, in conclusion. Yeah. I'm starting to feel that therapy isn't for everybody. That's fair. I agree. And because some people, which I, I strongly believe this is me is that it's better for all parties involved if i handle life as it comes the best way i know how because the way my mind works the way my efforts go if i include you as another relationship 
to try to manage, you're just more shit for me to handle. You're not, I know you want to help and I know you should help. I know your intentions are to help, but I can't, I know me if not only to create, cultivate this personal relationship, but to create this relationship where your word has influence on my life, that's a, that's a strong tie. That's another tie. And that's going to require a lot from me. And it's only 24 hours in a day. I got a lot of things going on. I got a lot of people going on. I got a lot of, I got to talk to my, I need to keep my relationship with my, with my parents are getting older. So I need to make sure I'm there for them. I make sure we're, you know, they're abreast of things I'm doing in life. I got relation, other relationships to cultivate. I got my own personal businesses to kind of, I want to do. We, hell, we got the fucking podcast we talk about all day, every day. Mm-hmm. So to insert willfully and pay another person to come into my life, that is something that I know and I strongly feel would be more of a hindrance than anything. It's really hard for me to say because, I mean, I really still feel like it's the availability of what we've seen, like, in our life, though. Like, you know, I went to a therapist when I was in the sixth grade with my mom. Mm -hmm. Me and my twin sister both went. I had no problem being vulnerable with that conversation. And the things that we discussed in there, I was in fear of discussing real personal issues that was going on in my home. But the things that were bothering me, it kind of made it easier to make other conversations. But I still wanted to protect those things that I didn't want to discuss. But he made it a little more easier for me to discuss something slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. And it was because it was a black guy and he made me understand the thing of trust. You know, like if I was to talk to a black, I mean a white guy, like honestly, I don't, I feel like I'm giving him something to use against me. You know what I'm saying? So uh when I did have that conversation with him, I'm not gonna lie, my dad, his reaction was pretty horrible to my mom. He was like, yo, don't you be bringing my son around him up talking about our goddamn house business and all that. And, and we really weren't talking about debt home issues. We were just literally talking about the effects of me and how I respond to things. And all he was really doing was helping me learn how to respond differently than my normal reaction to things in life. And that's why I say therapy isn't, like you said, it ain't for everybody, but it's what it causes in effect though. Like, you know, if it's helping me learn how to dumb down a little bit of my reaction and make sure that it's more respectful, then yeah, I'm all for that cause. But if it's something where you're just leaning and looking to have something to complain about every day, then you're not really using therapy for what it's, you know, for its purpose. My goal with therapy is to get to a point where the people around me, like when I start having kids and I'm married and stuff, do not need therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my ultimate Man, that goal. is real. I've never heard nobody say that, but that's real. All right, man. We, we can talk about this forever, man. So, but... You know, we're going to roll on into our big joker for the week. Um, April, you go ahead and take it away with that one. So for those of you guys that don't know, our big joker is our sponsor for the week. So this week's big joker is Mel from Vivid Bell Beauty, LLC. She's a licensed esthetician located in Huntsville, Alabama. Her services include makeup applications, facials, chemical peels, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, and microshading. Check her out at www.vividbellbeauty, that's V-I-V-I-D-B-E-L-L-E, beauty.com, and on Instagram at vividbellbeautyllc. Now, y'all, I saw this tweet, 
and it really kind of blew my mind. And it was talking about friends and like how to cut them off. And I want to read the tweet to y'all <laughs> so that y'all can get the full impact of what they said. So the original tweet was cutting off friends who are not progressing in life. What's your take on that? And at U L E L A T O, it looks like Uli Lato. I don't know. <laughs> um, she said, definitely. I cut off my friends when they've been single for more than six months. Single friends tend to be toxic when you're in a stable relationship. And I don't want that. If we're going to be friends, then we should be on the same maturity level. She goes on to say, guys, if you're in a stable relationship, you really can't be close with single people. It's impossible. They're always so negative. They'll always try to make you think there's something wrong with you in your relationship because they want you to be like them. You. One thing. Same same way a married man shouldn't be friends with guys who are still busy with girlfriends. They'll try to influence your man, your man to cheat. This is the last one I'm going to read. Single friends will even complain about you not spending time with your partner. and will complain about you spending time with your partner and not them. Next thing, they're sending you paragraphs talking about, friend, I think this guy is controlling you. It's just jealousy. They hate that you have what they don't. Stay away from such people. Oh, one more. You can't invite single friends over because they're not committed to anyone. Next thing, they try to seduce your partner. Hmm. Side eye emoji. Okay, one more. Gosh, you can't even do fun. <laughs> you can't even do fun things with your friends if they're single. No double dates, nothing. Okay. Who hurt you, sis? No, 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 if your friends real, ain't shit, just say that. Yeah, like, like so she got a friend that tried to fuck her man. She got a friend that told her her man was controlling. She got another friend that um tried to get her man to cheat. Then she got another friend that what the fuck else you say? You can't be if you're married. You can't. He, she said if you're married, you can't have friends that have girlfriends. In, yeah, like, in relationships, like, like what? What? <laughs> like basically, your man. You can't have no friends if you're in a relationship. That has to suck because I'll say this for me personally. I have really good friends that are in relationships. Actually, like some of my close friends, like I met like their girlfriend and now I probably talk more to her than mm-hmm. I do to my other friend. Mm-hmm. But I hang out with them and it never feels awkward. I I don't see the problem is people always like when when people are insecure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go, you bag now. Miss Mamas thinks everybody wants her man. <laughs> yeah. And we don't. We really don't. Like I think Single people get a bad rep, and I know we're kind of going off topic, but just with her tweet, single people get a bad rep, and there's a lot more to the story. Because as a single woman, if you knew how many married and in relationship people actually approach me more than actual other single men, mm-hmm. but then it's always it's always a woman's fault. What time out? What the fuck just happened? How the fuck did it go from this bitch talking about <laughs> her friends ain't right. shit to niggas ain't shit? Yeah. You back that shit right on up. Ooh. Back that shit up and go right back to talking about Girl, friends. Girl, you look good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, hey, look, I'm sitting here thinking, I was like, I know she ain't about to do what I think yeah. she's about to do. It went there. She's like, she like, look, look, her friends ain't shit, but let me tell you about my DMs. Like, right. what the fuck? Wow. Niggas sit okay. over here minding they black ass. Well, now nah, black men don't cheat. White men over there minding they white ass business. Right. <laughs> okay, so we can get back to the topic on cutting off friends, though. <sighs> so, like, okay. what are some reasons in that y'all would cut cut off friends? And cut off always sounds so bad. I mean, it Part, is bad. Yeah, it is it bad. Is <laughs> it is. Okay. 
uh, I know we're going to get into like the difference between men and women relationships. Yeah. I mean, friendships. But uh, cutting off friends in my world doesn't happen. Like, it's almost like I've never, quote unquote, cut off a friend. I don't plan on it. I don't mean to cut you off, but you remember that conversation last week we had when we were talking about old childhood friends and how we have made growing a different space and they're still who they are, whatever it may be. And like, we still consider them our niggas to this day, regardless mm-hmm. of whatever. Like we may be scholars, for example, but these niggas were hood niggas mm-hmm. and shit like that. Like, yeah, I still feel like they're my dogs. I just want to point out that Jay cut off his friend. I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry. But yeah, yeah. So even in that situation where I feel like growing apart is not cutting off. Okay. Thank you. Mm. That's that. That's. I feel like those are two two yeah, different yeah. things. Uh-huh. Like, hey, we went to high school together. We was all dope and shit. But uh, sorry guys, I gotta go to college, man. I got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got this little future thing. I'm trying to. Work <laughs> like I'm trying to work on my life, to, like, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we don't run in the same circles no more. I don't feel like we. I cut you off. I feel like cutting somebody off is a conscious person to person. I don't fuck with you. Right. And in order for that to happen, a friend will have to do some things that they were never in the friend to be a friend in the first place. Like right. you got to cross some like real serious. Mm-hmm. Like you got to steal from your boy or something like that's Yeah. I mean, that's pretty simple. I, and it's truthful. I, I'm, I, it's even it's even hard for like I had a conversation. It's even hard for like women to get involved because um, I ain't going to take it too far on this path. But uh. That movie, uh, the coalition, it's kind of had like this, uh, the best man kind of situation mm-hmm. in it, where basically like this guy was talking to this girl or whatever, he found out that his homeboy had fucked her back in the day, and they didn't tell him, right? Mm-hmm. So the question posed to me was like, you know, who who do you make amends with? Who do you fix the relationship? And I was like, I mean, fuck her. Like me and my homeboy get over it. Yeah. Like he fucked up too, but like you know, but it's but it's not even. No, it's not even. Like he had a relationship with old girl. He I loved her and all that shit. But it's like it's harder to find like them strong homeboys that like your day ones or the ones you fuck with. You can get over that, but I mean the woman is like. That's kind of why I said coochie is coochie. I mean, I might be wrong in the way I'm stating it. I mean, but, no, I was just saying, like, I ain't, I ain't want to think like, like, like she was just a, a freak nah, for the night. Oh, no, I, and I'm um, not meaning like that either. I'm just saying, like, I've had way more boys come through. Like, it's it's a certain loyalty with friendship versus someone that you're trying to build with. So, now, yeah. women, y'all be cutting bitches off, though. Yeah. Snip, snip. <laughs> <laughs> You ever cut some like if you if you cut them off, you don't have to worry about them listening to this episode. So you ever cut somebody off, like friend wise? Yeah, like you. I don't. I don't know if I would call it cutting people off. It's like it's the it's the outgrowing thing. It's you grow separate ways, and it's my problem has always been I try to hold on to things. Like once I like things are starting to grow separate ways, Mm -hmm. like with friends, like people always say, like you know you got to stick with your friends. You can't, you know, you're supposed to be friends forever. And I try to hold on and make it like still work and still do. And once you start growing apart, I mean, just the same as like a romantic relationship, it just y'all just ain't gonna click. Mm. I still can be happy for you, wish the world of you. We can still like catch up, laugh, ha ha. But like 
being that close, you just outgrow people. I'm trying to think. I like I I don't want to say that anything I've ever done is like just a cut off, like cut off. Mm-hmm. It's always been like a kind of slow separation. Well, I've always had this statement. Um, I feel like a friendship is supposed to be everything but work. Mm-hmm. Like I've and, and I mean I'm not picking, but I'm heard this from different women that they have to make conscious efforts to maintain their friendship. Like mm. they have to have standing, you know, go out time or if they haven't talked to, you know, this person in a week or so, they feel like they have to make that effort or, you know, they, they make conscious efforts toward maintaining their friendship and guys, we ain't got that shit. So the same way that y'all date women and we're more complex than what y'all are. Mm-hmm. It's the same with relationships or friendships with women. I have a lot, like in college, I always had a lot of guy friends. Like, mm-hmm. Always, it was cool until I tried to date because then, like you know, they're always confused. Like, <laughs> complex, so which one of them? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but guys are just very easy. Like, it's it's easy to talk to them. I know, like with women, like if you need to have a conversation, you got to figure out how you want to say it. And I will say, like, just transparent, I. I won't say I've always been the perfect friend, but I've also never really, like, I don't feel like I've ever grasped, like, I've seen people have, like, these really tight friendships, and I'm like, wow, like, these groups of friends, and mm-hmm. I've never really had, like, that group of friends, like, the girlfriends group. So, and I think that's because men, which is like a open door situation, like, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't require much from our friends. So, interesting thing that I always just I always find humorous is uh you've ever seen girls uh they'll they'll put like a little group picture and they'll put in the caption all my bitches bad or some shit like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Let me tell you, looks and weight have never been represented <laughs> to be my friend. <laughs> I would, I would have the fattest motherfucker as long as this oh, nigga funny. Shit. He can be around me all day, every day. Like yeah. it is, we do not. We, we it's, it the, the barrier to entry is different. Yeah, like we really make we make our friendships off personal connections. Yeah. Like and and that solely is it. We don't have a whole bunch of other factors that we bring into play. Like, and I don't think all I have seen a lot of that, but I don't think all women like. Well, I would hope not. I would hope that people don't intentionally only pick pretty people to be their their friend. But I think that people sure, probably I see my do. My sister's tripping Miami. <laughs> no, I know that shit. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be real. I was looking at my uh, potter's pictures, but it's all boys. They all, you know, various shape and all that. And I did that versus like the way my sister went to Miami, and I was like, damn, like I feel so much comfortable with my dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I look for good people. I don't know. Because my thing, I, I know I don't like the ugly thing. I don't like calling people ugly. I don't, and even. They exist though. Yeah. Ugly is subjective. I don't look at people's looks to be my friend. Like, you know, I think maybe in college that was cute. But like now as being 30, like I'm looking for real people. You know, like if we make real connections and things like that, people I can depend on and call on and just have a good time with and things like that but being able to put all all we all bad baddies <laughs> like i don't care guys will have like the random white guy as a friend 
Like, mm. <laughs> it's just like, but the the difference between black and white friend groups, and if you speak like friends and professional mm-hmm. relationships, we talked about this uh, during our pre-production meeting. Is guys will have like white friends that they associate with on a social basis pretty fluidly, pretty coolly. But when it comes to professional settings, it's very hard to have that black to white relationship. Mm-hmm. But when it's women, it's almost kind of reversed. It's like women will have good professional relationships with, you know, white women that do the thing around the business or, you know, around the workplace. But when it comes to their personal life, it's just them and their girls. Like it's they don't have too many white people interact in that circle. And that's interesting. I was just telling somebody that I wanted to have like more friends that weren't just black people. Mm-hmm. I the high school I went to, I had friends that weren't all black mm-hmm. because I mean Seattle. Yeah, there, I mean <laughs> there are black people up there, but my high school was just it wasn't in Seattle. It was in the suburbs, and there weren't a lot of us. Um, but and I, I I look at you know how do I make friends, and then how do I make like. Mm-hmm friends of other races now think of it when you get to like the do you have let me ask the question do you have good working relationships with you know white women do they do you feel comfortable do you feel open do you feel like they put their best effort forward you know even in your professional you know growth women and men like i'm i work-wise we're good Mm. but and to see from a male's perspective, I can just only speak myself. I've had, you know, been on several teams and that I, it was really hard for me to professionally feel like, you know, there was a white man that was actually like in my corner. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not out there, mm-hmm. but for as many that I had, you know, around me, it's like, I knew that their efforts are, are togetherness would only go so far. Right. They would never, they would never give me enough that I could surpass them. Let me put it like that. Man, I had a team lead at work who's actually like I act like you know you have like your work friends and you have like your friends like I actually consider him like a friend. We had to work together so much though that we end up getting so close and he lets me be me, mm-hmm. and he's himself. Like, and I just I appreciate that. That's good. Like, I mean, I had I received that. Why well, I have? Cause you, well, my team lead that then. You know, he was at my grad. He was at graduate. Hell, he's been to my parents' house. Oh, yeah, that's real. Shout out to Ryan, man. Love that man. So now we got to get into our favorite segment. <laughs> what is that? The letdown. The letdown. The letdown. The letdown. We so, did, damn, we supposed to work on some music to get to letdown. I know, and also, so just to let y'all know, now that we have some active listeners, if you want to submit a story. We're going to give you the email at the end, but please submit these stories because this y'all are what keeps this, the, this segment going without y'all. We ain't got nothing to talk about. Right. Well, at least for the letdown. So I'm going to pull this up. We're going to call this person distant lover, distant lover. I know. So many miles away. <laughs> See, I had a whole different song. I think we did this. Before. Oh, we did it too. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely in the meeting. Okay. <laughs> definitely a disagreement. All right. Y'all ready? Go ahead. Uh, So, a couple years ago, I was dating this guy. He was literally the perfect guy. Our first date was to church. Oh, look at that man. I know. 
He often came to visit me in Alabama during the day on the weekend, but made sure to manage time because he would go back home at night. I really cared about him a lot. I was comfortable with the pace and felt safe with him. Well, we're da- we were dating for around two months and the what are we conversation starting to come up. Okay. He was very respectful. So he always said he wanted to have serious a serious conversation before we took the next step and shared physical intimacy. I was thinking we were going to have the sexual health, maybe even the body count conversation, which is somewhat typical. We sat down at a bistro type place to have the conversation. I was 100% ready to accept the proposal to be his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. We talked about how we felt emotionally, which wasn't uncommon for or a surprise. The shift happened when we talked about sex. He asked me the frequency I was comfortable about comfortable having sex and the level of transparency I was comfortable with sharing our sexual activity. We were semi long distance, so I knew sex couldn't be a daily act, but I was okay with doing it while we were together. He went on to explain to me that he had a sex addiction and the longest he could go without sex was around 48 hours. He assured me that it was no pressure for me since he had a sexual arrangement with his male roommate. (laughs) Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, time out. Read that last part one more time. He kind of read, hold on. All right. I'm trying to make sure I heard what I thought I heard. He assured me that it was no pressure for me since since he had a sexual arrangement with his male roommate. He was adamant that he wasn't gay because he wasn't in any way attracted to or had a desire to pursue any male romantically. He just needed to have sex regularly, and he didn't care where he got it from. Needless to say, I declined his relationship offer. He was very kind about it. I actually met the guy he had the arrangement with. He was nice as well. (laughs) Not to turn this into a sermon, but I continually thank God for keeping me even when I don't want to be kept. Hallelujah, God, because I wanted this man bad. We ended up remaining friends for a couple weeks, and then my ADD kicked in, and I forgot about him. Before you ask, yes, he lives in Atlanta. <laughs> Lesson learned. Okay, so where this story had me lost at is the fact that he has this arrangement with his roommate, which is a male that he does it with, but he's not gay. Uh, I'm like, completely <laughs> and utterly confused. All right, let me tell y'all something about this pod, too. Don't be... No, I don't give a fuck, but don't be in ideas when this new school way of thinking is <laughs> he has to accept. Listen, take that shit to the read. We, we ain't the ones for it. Because I'm trying to figure out in what, how do you say the statement? I have a sexual relationship with my male roommate, but I'm not gay. But you know, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But what I will say I respect him for is that he was honest about it. Like he, because, you know, a lot of men ain't up front. I mean, he was honest about what he had going on. He might not, you know, that's his opinion of whether or not he was gay or not. But it's like, I mean, it's being a good sportsman, I guess. But I mean, but he told him what, like, <laughs> I guess. Imagine if this situation, like, she said she really liked him and she moved forward with him and she didn't know that her, his roommate. No, like, now I 100% agree that. He should like stuff like that because that came up on uh one of those um them shows that be on Netflix, the reality dating yes where she the married they were sitting by the pool uh-huh. um so if if in the episode or in the show whatever dude love is blind love is blind 
So they matched or whatever, blah, blah, blah. They sent by a pool. They talking. I think, weren't they like engaged or some shit like that? Yeah, in order to actually, so you couldn't see the person, but in order to move forward and actually get to see them and meet them, you had to propose. Nah, that's, 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 that's got, got, got a lot riding on that yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to play that game, bro. I'm good. I'm way too shallow for that shit, bro. <laughs> 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 Just be real with you. But yeah, so I remember he had told old girl, like at the point he told her so casually. Some I, I forgot the exact wording, but basically I told him that he had fucked around with some dudes before. You know what I'm saying? And the thing about that. I honestly feel like that's something that you have to tell somebody, like, honestly, like, up front. You need to. Because you're taking away what I feel like is their right of choice. Mm-hmm. So, the same way I feel like if a, like, they had this conversation, like, if a person is born a man and you were to approach me, I may... One, I may not have a problem with, you know, the trans community, but when it comes to my romantic life, I need to be able to give, to control that, Mm -hmm. you know, so now you're putting, you know, them in a situation that now they have to confront it on a, on a way in which they weren't, they weren't even willing to or wanting to. Right. I feel like that's wrong. That's, and that's why low key, I can respect this story is because he, he, he kept it funky. Like he said, Mm -hmm. Hey. This is what it is. He was transparent. I mean, he, he he was, he'll he'll train like... something. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you about to children. kill yourself. Y'all are children. <laughs> I, I just feel like it, it's also something I probably would have preferred to know at the beginning. Like, right. mm. like let me know what's up. Because it sounded like she had already built up feelings. Yeah. Like, well, not feelings, but like a strong attraction. Like, she said she wanted they them bad. went to church. Like, do you know oh, what she kind of first that. date that is to be like, hey, let's go to church. Like, I'm a man of God. Atlanta's <laughs> real. Damn, bro. Daddy did was the first date to church one. A man of God. How did he... <laughs> Damn, he doing player shit and Jesus uh, loves uh, all the God involved. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, but there ain't nothing uncommon out there in Atlanta, though. Be real, man. I, I hear stories, man, and because uh, shit, nigga, we done had three stories here of the same thing dealing with, you know, what I'm saying Atlanta situations. Yeah. I ain't trying to kick Atlanta back in, but you know, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, you oh, had that one there. Oh, no. Hey, fuck that shit. That was it right there. Go ahead and pound that one uh, one time. Uh, <laughs> that's oh, sad. man. Hey. <laughs> that was funny. I like that one. I'm going to use that, though. I mean, this is like, this is the definition of a letdown story. Like, for real. This like, is a real You yeah, really yeah. liked him. Uh, and man. for him to, I'm still just, like she said, God kept her. Like you, you just you never know what God's keeping you from, cause. Mm-hmm. Now, like my mama would tell me some <laughs> shit. Like, uh, she she just had this thing. Like, if you're trying to do something and it just seems like it just doesn't work out, it just won't work out. It's mm-hmm. like, look, God keep from he like, and she was like, sometimes you'll try to break into hell, and I was like, boy, yeah, he said that's real as hell though. Yeah, she be in the, she be in the church, man. Uh, yeah, you know, Prim the Baptist, baby, touch that wall. <laughs> Wow. Boy, conservative as hell. <laughs> she said like it was a mixtape or something. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But yeah, um, Distant Lover, man, uh, 
<laughs> you're more than miles away, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was our, our letdown, man. If you want to send us a letdown, you can either send in a DM to the Instagram, which is T H E B L X C K C A R D on Instagram, or the same thing with podcast at gmail.com. I'm not gonna spell it out to y'all, it's on the IG, but um, also. We got a new ending. Uh, April doesn't really like this. I do this. not approve of this. He dropped it on us today, y'all. But whatever. I ain't mad at it. So, yeah. So of course not. We got shout outs in the beginning. We got our fuck yous at the end. So, I just want to give a quick fuck you to that nigga that shot King Von. He was one of my new favorite rappers. Jay, you got any fuck yous? State of Alabama Child Service Department. <laughs> uh. <laughs> April, you got any forget yous? <laughs> you just gave me the Walmart version. I like it though. Who do I want to forget? I don't. I don't have any this week. I don't. I'm, me. Hey, you sprung it on me. It was and and then you didn't give me the forget me till the now. So. But anyway, I'm your boy Bird. I'm April D. J West usual. And it's been another episode of the Black Card, where it's always us versus them. Thank you for listening.